Once imprisoned by the thick plaster walls of an old house, do trapped souls roam the halls, waiting? While on every historic tour I've ever taken, I can't help but wonder about the people who touched the same doorknobs, whose fingers have gripped the banisters, whose lives had begun within its rooms, whose lives had ended there too. Walls have secrets, hold memories, and whisper emotions. I love old places because of the stories they tell, are always telling. These things have forever fascinated me, and I often write about these feelings, these whispers I sense from places I've seen. Like this one from a home circa 1803. With her palms pressed to the banister, she held on tight, trying to keep herself there, stepping deeper and deeper into the past, remembering the prior occupants, whispering their names, and hoping to connect with the house's true character. They walked these stairs. She walked these stairs. So many lives. So many souls, all connected with one touch. If you think about how history links famous people with places, even if they were only there for an afternoon, it's easy to see how this could be true, since we each become connected by simply sharing a space. At any moment in time, your presence in that house that building is in essence continuing to write the history of that place. You become its, and it becomes yours. A simple choice can cause a ripple effect throughout time, and you never know how it may change you. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles. And this is Fabled. Are you scared yet? Joe whispered as he came from behind to pull me close to him. <laughs> yes. And this was our first time in Savannah, and we were determined to have the best time possible. It was the big St. Patrick's Day festival, and there were thousands of people flooding the streets and the pubs. Joe and I and a few friends decided it was about time we visited the city everyone talks about. We arrived early the morning before. We were only going to be there three days, so we'd planned every moment out. There were four bus tours that we wanted to take. And then, of course, the Haunted Mansion tours were a must. Jill, Jonathan, Joe, and I walked all day, it seemed like. Luscious green squares, stately homes aligning the streets, bars on the lower floor windows, cameras hanging from tourists' necks, the clap-clapping of horse hooves on the pavement. It was marvelous. I'd always been fascinated with everything and anything old, so being in such a preserved historic city 
was a real treat for me. We ate at Mrs. Wilkes' boarding house restaurant for lunch, and then we had dinner at Churchill's pub. It was wonderful. We had gone on a few excursions already, but we knew the best was yet to come. Later that night, we had booked a tour of the Sorrel Weed House. Even though the supernatural sort of frightened me, I was still a little excited. I'd heard so much about Savannah's ghosts from the locals and other tourists that day, I couldn't wait to see for myself. As the night went on, Savannah's southern happy feel began to shift. Without the sunlight illuminating the old buildings and alleys, everything looked more old, dark, and more than a little scary. When we pulled up to part next to the mansion, a feeling of dread swept over me. The house stood tall in the pale street light, and a general feeling of gloom hit me in a rush. On top of everything, it had started to mist outside. Not really enough to classify as a sprinkle, but more than enough to play a number on my curly hair. I'm nervous, Jill said as we approached the back of the home. The start of the tour began in the carriage house, which in itself was pretty spooky. The old wood siding, narrow footprint, and simple design screamed neglect, unimportance, and less than. Don't be scared, baby, I'm right here. Jonathan said and wrapped his arms around Jill's waist. Come on in and take a seat, the tour guide said as she led us into an adjoining room inside of the carriage house. This place freaks me out, I whispered to Joe. It is kind of creepy, he replied. We will begin our tour by taking a short stroll around the block, the guide said. We followed her into the street and past Madison Square. We stopped and looked at a few mansions that were rumored to be haunted. One of which was the home in the book, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Despite the thick fog and mist, Jill and I took pictures all along, hoping to catch some ghostly image. Then we were escorted back to the house, of which we were led into the basement. The guide didn't tell us anything about the basement. We just moved right through it and went up the stairs. We were put into a room. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be for. But we all stood there while the guide told us background about the past owners. Legends of voodoo, dead wives, and suspicious accusations were told. Naturally suspicious, I questioned its validity. But for the sake of entertainment, I decided to go along with it. All of a sudden, I started to feel a little sick. My stomach turned, and I began to experience severe cramping. I went on about the tour for a few more minutes, hoping it would pass, but it didn't. And that's when we went back to the basement. And my stomach grew more and more uneasy and nauseous. The basement was dark, pitch black, actually. There were no lights at all. All I could see were the stairs, which were illuminated by the lights on the second floor. I walked up in a hurry and followed the same path that we took when we came in. When I came to the living room or parlor area, I slowed down and peeked inside. 
something in my gut told me not to walk inside the room. So I stood in the foyer just looking in, hoping that my nausea would pass. I couldn't hear the guide anymore, but something else caught my eye. There was a huge mirror above the fireplace, and I stared at it. I couldn't take my eyes off of it, and that's when I saw it. I could see a person's head and shoulders moving in the mirror. I looked around the room again, but there was nothing. But the person kept moving in the mirror. A woman. Her hair was pinned back in a fancy twist, and she was gleaming. Like she was happy. Like she was having fun. At first, I couldn't understand why she was moving in circles. But then I realized what it looked like. Like maybe she was dancing. Completely in awe, I just stood there, frozen. I had never seen anything remotely paranormal, and here I was experiencing something I would probably never see again. After watching her for what seemed like only a minute, she turned to face the mirror. The happiness wore from her face, and she stared back at me with a somber look. Are you scared yet? Joe whispered as he came from behind and pulled me close to him again. Yes. The Sorrel Weed House is one of the most famous historical landmarks in all of Savannah, Georgia. With its mix of Greek and Regency architecture and its faded orange color, it stands out amongst the crowd of beautiful, luxurious homes. At a whopping 16,000 square feet, it is also one of the largest homes in the area. It was designed by Irish-born Georgia architect Charles Kluskey and built for Francis Sorrell, who was originally from the West Indies and became a shipping merchant in Savannah. Francis's son, General Gilbert Moxley Sorrell, would later become known for being one of the youngest generals in the Confederate Army. Moxley, as he was called, was also the author of Recollections of a Confederate Staff Officer, which is considered by historians as the, quote, best account of the life and soldiers of the Confederate Army. The home was later sold to Savannah businessman Henry Weed, who took possession of the home in 1862. It remained in the Weed family until 1914. The Sorrel Weed House is arguably the most haunted building in Savannah. It was listed in USA Today's Top 10 Halloween Travel Destinations. The home was even investigated by TAPS in 2005 and it was also investigated by the Ghost Adventures crew in 2014. And it was listed on the Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America in 2010. The house has a dark past. After Francis Sorrell immigrated to the United States, he married a woman named Lucinda Moxley when she was only 17 years old. Her family was really well off, so this was a beneficial marriage for Francis. Sadly, 
Lucinda died of yellow fever only five years after they were married in the year of 1827. And this is where the story starts to get a little strange. Francis then went on to marry his dead wife's younger sister, Matilda, in 1829. Francis had continued to do well in business, but his marriage may have been struggling. It could have been because of Matilda's unstable mental state, but it's also rumored that Francis was having an affair with a young enslaved girl named Molly. Molly lived in the carriage house on the top floor in a private room. The sorrel weed home overlooks a courtyard in the back and the carriage house. Legend goes that one night Matilda saw Molly with her husband, Francis, having an affair. And this is when Matilda decided to leap from the balcony of the home, falling to her death on the flagstone courtyard below. As if that weren't terrifying and horrible enough, Molly was later found soon thereafter in the carriage house hanging from a noose. There's some speculation that Molly's death may have not been a suicide, but who really knows? And this is the story that we heard while on a ghost tour of the home in 2009. Stick around for more strange history after this brief promo. Hey guys, my name is Tara. And my name is Jessica, and together we co-host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal, or murder, join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me for you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on. Although these stories about Molly and Matilda are definitely intriguing, there is no real record that Molly ever existed. Not even in the census records. Because records were not as accurate as they are now, that's not to say that she didn't exist, but we just can't know for sure. Another thing that's really interesting is that Frances Sorrell sold the house to Henry Weed about nine months before Matilda's suicide. The family would have moved into the house next door, and that would mean that the suicide took place in the home next door, which records tell us that the Sorrells did own. Matilda's suicide is recorded in some letters that were later published in a book called The Children of Pride. Charles Jones wrote to his mother that Matilda Sorrell, quote, in a moment of lunacy, fell upon the pavement of the yard. Charles also mentions that the location of her death was in the house next door. But interestingly, Matilda would have been able to witness the affair from either home. Other people have speculated that it's possible the Sorrels remained in the house after Henry Weed purchased it. 
It wasn't uncharacteristic for people in that time who purchased homes to allow the prior owners to live in the home for an extended amount of time until they could sort out the details and make any repairs or changes to the home. But it still begs the question, if Matilda didn't actually commit suicide on the property, and if Molly never even existed, why are there so many ghosts reported in the Sorrelweed house? I can tell you from experience that the house has a feeling of oppression. In 2009, my husband and I took our first trip to Savannah, and we toured the house the very first night we were there. In December, at 11 p.m., we walked toward the Sorrelweed house from our hotel on River Street. We entered through the back of the home where the tour guide met us. It turned out that we were going to have a private tour because there were only the two of us who'd booked it. We went into the house, learned the history of the family, and heard the stories that I've already relayed to you. I took pictures all along, but the farther we went on with the tour, the more nauseous I became. By the time we were in the basement, which was nothing more than a dark, empty space, with nothing but construction material, I'd begun to feel incredibly sick. So sick that I could not go on with the tour. I felt this urgent need to be out of the house. So while my husband and the tour guide continued the tour of the carriage house, I sat outside in the courtyard trying to recover. I couldn't help but feel this eerie feeling, especially imagining that Matilda could have ended her life on the very pavement that I stood upon. As I waited there, I heard the screams from the carriage house that were captured by one of the ghost investigators. The tour guide replayed the sounds for my husband, and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I could not wait to leave. After the tour was over, my husband and I walked away from the house and back toward the hotel, and every step that I took away from that place, the better I felt. The tour guide had mentioned that it wasn't uncommon for people who were sensitive to the paranormal to become sick in the house, but I had no idea how much a negative space could affect me physically. We continued our vacation in Savannah with no other weird things happening, but when I got home, I looked at the pictures I had taken inside the house, and I caught something really strange on one of the photographs. I emailed it to the guide and I'll post it on social media for you to be the judge. My husband and I travel to Savannah at least once a year and have ever since. Every time we're there, I steer clear of the Sorrel Weed House. I actually never plan to go there again. Even though I've heard that the basement is now remodeled and looks like a normal part of the house, I never plan to see it. Even if the stories we were told on the tour are not true, I still feel like there's something dark there. And I never want to come face to face with it again. Because of my experience at that house, I'm now more careful where I visit. I love stories, which is why I love going on tours, but some places are not healthy for the soul or the mind, I've found. There's another part of the Sorrel Weed House history 
that few people ever mention, and that's the land that the house was built on. The southernmost point of the British fortifications during the Siege of Savannah, during the Revolutionary War, were located on what was later developed into Madison Square, which is really close to the Sorrel Weeds house location. The assault that took place there on October 1779 was considered the bloodiest hour of the American Revolution, with over 1,000 casualties. I think it's safe to say that the Sorrel Weed House has many ghosts. Ghosts from before the house was built, ghosts from since its inhabitation, and possibly even ghosts from the recent past. Just last year, we were on a walking tour, and our guide had mentioned that he had a friend who was a tour guide at the Sorrel Weed House. He told us how one day he saw his friend, and they exchanged a wave and a smile, only to later find out that his friend had died prior to that encounter. He knew his friend had been struggling with cancer, but had no idea of his passing. And yet, he saw him standing at the gate to the courtyard in the back of the house. I think the home is one of the most strangest mysteries of Savannah. There's no telling what or who is tied to the home because so much of Savannah is built on top of its dead. The house's mysteries are still continuing to unfold. Recently, a letter signed by Robert E. Lee was found on the property in a secret room under the carriage house, along with a case of brandy. The home is open for tours and for paranormal investigations, but I would recommend you proceed with caution. If you're anything like me, there are some things that remain better told in stories rather than experienced in person. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you'd like to see the photo I mentioned earlier, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fable Collective, or on the website at fablecollective.com. If you'd like access to bonus content, become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. And I just wanted to say how much I appreciate your ratings and reviews. They really help indie podcasters like me. As always, thank you for listening.